a couple stats for you. So one in three young men in America right now do not have a positive male role model in their life. Boys that don't have a positive male role model in their life are two times more likely to commit a violent crime before the age of 18. Boys that don't have a positive male role model in their life are four times more likely to live in poverty after graduating from high school. And they're three and a half more times times more likely to commit suicide. Welcome to the New Age Sage Podcast, where you come to free your mind from all the things that keep you in suffering. Today's guest is Dennis Morolda. He is a beautiful man with an amazing heart. He teaches young men how to be good men, which is really important in today's day and age. Please like and subscribe. Thank you so much. Dennis, welcome on the show, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, Lucas. So why don't we begin by you telling us the work that you do and how you're helping young men and all the beauty that is that it is what you do. Sure, man. I um well I appreciate you connecting and having me having me on your show and giving me an opportunity here. It's um it's been quite a journey. I just did a post on Instagram and talking about the logo, the Building Men logo, and uh, it's interesting because I I just did a convention and part of our logo is the color pink. Uh, the word men is in pink. And so I did this convention and I was wearing pink pants, bright ass pink pants in this, in this convention. And more people came up to me, not about what I was doing, but they're like, dude, what's up with the pink pants? What's going on here? Why? I'm a, I'm a big dude. I'm 6'4", 220, and I'm wearing bright, bright yeah. pink pants. So th- I'll start with the logo of Building Men. It, it's these four interlocking hands that represent community, solidarity, uh, connection, teamwork, brotherhood. Then the, the font of Building Men is this font called Black Ops, and it represents accountability, self-discipline, strength, uh, resiliency. And then the word men is in pink, and that represents vulnerability. It represents kindness, compassion. And then even bucking back against the system a little bit with the idea that you know, the word men is typically, you wouldn't associate the the color pink with the word men. And I did it intentionally. So the, the Building Men program started all the way back in 2005. I was an assistant principal in Central Jersey, and I recognized that the boys in the school were struggling. And I could get into where that, you know, the, the, the origin story of it or whatever, but it really... I recognized that the boys were really being underserved. They were they were really struggling in the school where I was working as an assistant principal. And I recognized that most of my day was spent, 90% of my day was spent with like 30 boys that were getting in trouble, that were getting into fights, bullying, tossed out of class, failing grades, you name it. And so what I wanted to do was help the young men in the school uh, connect be a part of the school community, and then help them understand what it meant to be a man. And when I talked to the boys initially, Lucas, about what is a man? Build me a man. What does it look like to you? Tell me a little bit about a man. They told me that the man needs to be like physically dominant, bigger, faster, stronger, six-pack, got to be able to dunk, throw the football further than everybody else, captain on the team, that kind of thing. So it was more like, like the physicality of it kick people's asses, that kind of thing. Then they told me they needed to bang the most girls, be with the most girls or the hottest girls, right? That was really important to them. Like, oh, you're the man you got with this girl or that girl. So it was sexual conquest. And then finally it was 
you need to have all the stuff, the car, the house, the sneakers. You got to go on trips. You got to, you know, have the watch, whatever. So it was about like this economic success. And so they defined masculinity around athletic dominance, sexual conquest, and then financial or, you know, or, or success in that world. And I talked to them about it and I said, listen, if you're basing what it means to be a man on those things, they could all be taken away from you. You know, every single one of those things, they're, they're very surface level things. They're very extrinsic in nature. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what it means to be a man. Let's develop our masculinity, our sense of masculinity around intrinsic things, values that no one can ever take away from us. And I started with telling you about the logo because that speaks to everything that we're about. So it was really intentionally done. That's a little bit about what I do. I mean, I, I do individual group coaching. I do retreats. I do workshops in schools, um, helping boys understand what it means to be men and then helping teachers teach boys because it's very different than teaching girls right now. How many of those boys that were struggling had an absent father or had a father wasn't showing them how to be? And what's the effect of absent fatherhood or, or non-responsible fatherhood on, on the child, especially a son? Well, I'll, I'll, a couple stats for you. So one in three young men in America right now do not have a positive male role model in their life. Boys that don't have a positive male role model in their life are two times more likely to commit a violent crime before the age of 18. Boys that don't have a positive male role model in their life are four times more likely to live in poverty after graduating from high school. And they're three and a half more times times more likely to commit suicide than than females are. So there's a lot of stats that that are that are really really concerning. The boys that were in my group, and when I started the group, every boy in the school joined. Lucas in 2005, every single boy in the school joined. There was this there was a girls group that was happening already called Girls Speak Out. So all the girls were part of this girls group. And so when I started, uh, I recognized somebody needs to be talking to the boys. So when I started this group, all the boys joined. And so it was about 200 kids. I had 10 groups of about, of, about, of about 20 boys each. And those groups were kids that were really struggling. I would say about half of the boys in the group either had an absent father or a father who wasn't a positive figure for them. And after one year of being in the program, the boys that, were, that stuck it out for the full year, the suspension rate in our school dropped 400% in one year. The, the number of disciplinary referrals that were sent to the office were cut in half in that first year. And the boys that were a part of the program, their letter grades in school, and I'm not, I'm not everything is about the grades and center, I, I'm not in that, that, that realm, but it was a metric that I was using at the time. And the boys' letter grades raised a half a letter grade. So if they were a C student, they became a C plus student. If they were a B student, a B plus student. So there were some really cool numbers that were associated with the boys that were a part of the program. And it more than anything, it helped them connect to a community. Kids need to be a part of, of something. They need to be a, a part of a tribe. So if, if I was able to do that and really be intentional about creating these lessons for the boys, they became a part of this. And they didn't want to let each other down. They didn't want to let me down as the, as the assistant principal in the school. And then they got to a point where they set goals for themselves and they didn't want to let themselves down either. What does a good father look like to you? Like, What does a father who's really doing his job well, look to you. What, what are his qualities? What's he teaching his kids? What's the best way to not fuck up your, your, your sons in a way? Right. Yeah, it's, and I could go into a story um, about my own upbringing. One of the reasons why I started building men uh, was because of the lack of relationship that I had with my own father. Mm -hmm. 
So I would say one is, is presence, you know, being, being present with your kids. There's so many guys that I see right now that even when they're with their kids, they're all on their phones. When I'm in a restaurant and I see like a family of four or five and they're all sitting on their phones, like I have this visceral reaction. I want to go and just take the phones and throw them against the wall. Like you have an opportunity right now that you have your kids and you don't have them forever. You know, you have your kids for a finite period of time when you're in their presence and they're in your presence, like be really intentional about that time with them. So that's one thing that, that dads can do is, is understand the value of their presence with their kids. Another big thing is that while you want to be in their presence, like you need to think of yourself as the leader in that, not, you don't want to be your kid's friend. You know, it's cool that you have a great relationship with your, your kids and they look up to you. And I think eventually you get to that point when they're in their mid to late twenties that you can become friends with your kids. But in those formative years, they need to look to you because one, they're going to make mistakes. I mean, it's obvious they're going to make mistakes. So they need to see you as that role model and that leader. And if you're, you're acting as their friend and wanting to be like the cool dad in situations, they're going to miss out on a lot of life lessons because of that. Um, and then the final thing I would say is everything that you do with your kids, do it intentionally. I'm all about rites of passage, Lucas, finding different opportunities to teach young men what it means to be a man, but it needs to be intentional, you know? So if you're sitting on the couch and you, you happen to be watching TV, pull out something that the, the character on the television show is doing that you want to have, you want to talk to your child about, you know, as an example, if you're doing something more passive, if you're doing something more active, like I think kids need rites of passage, physical rites of passage. I think they need to understand that they can go a little bit further than they thought they could possibly go. And then conversational rites of passage with your kids. Like think about when did you learn like how to, how to talk to a girl? When did you learn how to ask for a raise at a, at a job? When did you learn to handle conflict? Um, when did you learn how to break up with a girl? Like, how does that happen? So what I do with my kids is I'm really intentional about those things. What are some life lessons that my kids need to learn? And I'll just pick out opportunities intentionally to talk to them about those things. So I'll talk to my son about, hey, you know, say if it doesn't go all right with your girlfriend, like how would you break up with her? How would you, how would you go about doing that? You know, because a lot of the kids will just ghost the girl or they, they'll, they'll cheat on her or whatever. If something's go, not going well, like let's talk about what re relationship dynamics look like to you as a young man as well. Yeah. Going to your, your story now, why it's all beautiful stuff you're saying, but why did sure, you get man. so motivated to do this? Yeah. I'm going to take a quick drink of water. I'll go for it. So this will go back to, wow, it's 1989. Um, I was growing up in, we, as we were, we started to talk, I grew up in, uh, in New Jersey. I'd grown up in central New Jersey. I was a really good athlete, uh, baseball, basketball, football, baseball was my main sport, went on to play in high school and in college. And my relationship with my father, a lot of it was based on my success athletically. So he wasn't emotionally available to me. So I, you know, I saw my daddy worked really hard, blue collar worker. He would come home, go to the gym. If I had a, a practice, he would coach my team. Other than that, I really didn't see or talk to him all that much. If I did really well athletically, I felt this, this love from my dad. I felt like, you know, he was really proud of me, but that's only if I did well athletically. If I was unsuccessful, say I struck out a couple times up at bat 
you know, I missed a layup in a basketball game. It was really, really rough on me. Um, it never got super physical, but it was really, really verbal and mental, the, the things that were going on with me. And I always craved his approval, his validation, his acceptance for a long period of time in my life. And I'll never forget there was one time when I was in sixth grade, I made the middle school baseball team. I was so proud to go home and tell my dad about this. And I, you know, I, I walked in the door, dad, I made the baseball team. I was so proud. And what happened was at that time as a sixth grade student, it was a big middle school, central New Jersey. There were two or three eighth grade boys that were, that I was buddies with, that I would hang out in the neighborhood. We would play basketball, football, baseball. They got cut from the team. These were kids that I would hang out with two years older than me. I'm 12. They're like 14. And after they got cut from the team, they started to take it out on me. So at first they were, you know, they would avoid me. They stopped hanging out around with me and then they started to make fun of me and they started to, you know, do little things that's, that kids do, flick my ears, throw things at me in the hallway, you know, pick on me for the way that I look, the way that I dressed. And then it became much more significant. They pushed me in the hallway, tripped me, punched me in the hallway. And then I rode the same bus as them to school, Lucas. So the bus would stop and I would run home as fast as I could because I was afraid of these kids. And there were three or four times that they caught me, that they kicked my legs out, that they uh, threw sticks at me, rocks at me. And a couple times they jumped me and, you know, as I'm laying on the ground, punch me, kick me. So I would walk in the door with like scrapes and blood and black eyes. And I would make up stories to my dad about how I must have, you know, I fell down or I was playing in gym class or something because I was afraid to tell him that I was getting jumped in school or on the way home from school. And my father was this like tough guy, man's man. The thing that I told you about what the boys believed a man to be, that's what I was being told by my own father. You know, a lot of it was you needed to be bigger, faster, stronger, get the girls, make the money. You know, that's, that's how I was raised. So now I'm a kid who is scared to death of this bullying that's going on on a regular basis. And I know my father would not approve of me getting my ass kicked pretty much. So there's one day we're driving home from baseball practice and pass by these kids' houses. Um, they were out in the street playing basketball. Their names are Frankie, Louie, and Vinny. These, you know, big Italian kids in central Jersey in the late 80s. And as we're driving by, they yell out real loud. Am I, is it okay for me to drop an F-bomb right now? Say whatever you want, man. All right. So as we're driving by, so spoiler alert, as we're driving by, the three of them yell out in unison, fuck you, as loud as they could. So now my father looks over at me, and he thinks that I'm still friendly with these boys. He looks over at me, and he goes, what the hell's going on here? You know, I, I thought you were friends with these kids. And I'm like, dad, forget it, forget it. He pulls into the drive, and he goes, wait inside, I'll be right back. So I go upstairs, and I sit in my room, and now I'm scared. I'm scared of these kids to begin with, and now my father's going to talk to them. I have no idea what he's going to say to these boys. So I'm sitting in my room, my hands are shaking, and... About 10 minutes later, he comes back into the house and he goes, let's go. I raged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. -on -one. And my jaw drops. And he says it again, a little bit louder. He goes, let's go. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. -on -one. Louis and Vinny are not going to jump in. And I can't move. You know, when, when we experience fear in our life, there's a fight, flight, freeze response. I was frozen. I couldn't move. And he says it one more time, really, really loud. Let's go. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. -on -one. Louis and Vinny are not going to jump in. And I can't move. And now I start to cry, like tears streaming down my face. And he looks at me and goes, they were right. You are a pussy. And he walked out of my room. He doesn't talk to me for like the next month of my life. He won't even talk to me. 
Lucas. And, and I was, you know, as a kid, like, this is my hero. I was like devastated. So after he walks out, my mom walks in two minutes later. And now I'm thinking like, thank God, mom, you know, give me a hug. Like, I'm so scared. I'm a 12 year old boy. I'm in sixth grade. Dad just, you know, basically told me I was a pussy and shamed me. And now I'm like, I'm no good in, in my eyes. And my mom looks at me and she goes, you just lost your best friend, your father. And she walked out of my room. So I'm a 12 year old kid, like just devastated here. And, and at that time, I, the narrative I was telling myself about myself was that I'm scared. I'm no good. I'm a coward. I'm going to let people down. I'm a bad son, like all these different things. And that just, that narrative played in my head for such a long, long period of time. And it was one of the reasons why eventually I wanted to get into education was because I never wanted any other kid to experience what I experienced there. So you asked me before about like how many kids had no father figure in their life. You know, my, I did have a father figure in my life, but the, the lesson that he taught me was that, you know, my, my vulnerability in that, in that moment and my, I was so scared in that moment that that became something that I should be ashamed of and feel guilty of for, for a long period of time in my life. So I wish I had a male role model, someone, you know, at that time that would have one seen me go through what I was going through and say, Hey, that must be a lot. What can I do to help you out right here? Is there anything that I can do? How can I support you? Um, even just listen to me and not shame me for, for being so nervous and upset in that situation. Okay, I can intuitively feel you're a very sweet heart. So just, I'm in that boat too, a man with, with kind of like a big heart. So I can't even imagine the effect that had on you growing up. So it's heavy. How, how, how does that part of you still show up now? How are you taking care of that, that part of you that was so wounded back then now? How are you making sure that, that your, your kids don't get the, the same treatment? Right. Well, for me, it took me a long time to really, really deal with it. It was one of those things that I told myself that story and it, it like it still sat inside me. I really had to go through like coaching and therapy to, to get the story out. And what I did was I wrote down every single thing that you could imagine that story. I, I And as I'm doing it, Lucas, this is a couple of years ago, I bought a journal and I wrote the whole story, like from start to finish. And it, it was like 50 pages long, everything and ever anything that I could remember. And the, the book that I wrote it in, it, it, it has like stains on it from the ink splattering from when I, the tears were coming out of my face as a mid 40 year old guy, like really processing through the emotions of what that felt like. So for me with my kids, I've told my kids that story. As you, you mentioned too, about dads before, I think it's really important for dads, especially dads of young men, to express times when they felt vulnerable, to talk to their kids about, especially their boys, about times that they didn't feel strong and they felt weak. Because here's the thing, and I, you might agree with this, one thing that I've recognized in my work is that it's a commonality with young men and then men in general, is one of our biggest fears is feeling weak is feeling like we were not able to to do something or other people were going to let other people down because of that. So when I talk to my own kids about that experience, I talk to them about how I felt in those moments. And the reason why I say that is one of the one of the things that kids struggle with is that feeling and they always feel like especially with social media and things like that they always have to live up to something. And so when you could be a role model for your kid and express things that you've gone through and felt that level of vulnerability and weakness, and then how you were able to overcome those things, it normalizes for your kids that 
you you it's not just the the stories of you hitting the, the game winning shot it's not the stories of you riding off into the sunset all the time it's like you know what this was really hard this sucked and it, it really impacted me for a long period of time i wish i had someone that i could talk to so then your your kids see you as a role model but also as like a figure that has gone through some really difficult things so I'm I'm in favor of for me with my own kids one they know that they can come and talk to me about anything you know and and with my kids too if there's something that they're they're struggling with you know they they know that I'm that that person that will sit b- beside them and help them through it and then they know if they've done something wrong you know I'm not yelling and screaming ever you know obviously with my kids there are consequences for mistakes that they make um, behaviors that are not appropriate, things like that. But I don't ever discipline my kids from a place of emotion. Like I will come to terms with whatever it is. So they're like a lot of parents I'll see, they'll deal with their kids. Something will happen and the parent will snap and yell at the kid. And those are things that you can't really take back. So the other thing that I try to do with my kids in those moments when I know that they're struggling is I listen to them and I tell them, hey, listen, like I'm going to think about this too. And then let's come back and talk in, 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 in an hour or tomorrow after I've had time to let those emotions settle in where I know I could be in a better spot to help them move forward. Yeah, I, I agree. My Same with you. Like my father wasn't physically abusive, but it was just the way his mannerisms. He was like Superman in a way. Not in a good way. He would not ever be vulnerable. He would never show his weaknesses. And he wasn't trying to fuck me up, but it fucked me up. Because yeah. what happened to me is that as I grew up, and I inevitably, you know, became a man who had to deal with various responsibilities that were painful and the burden became too much. I got seriously depressed and suicidal because I was in so much shame about that part of me, about the part of me that was sad, that couldn't bear fucking up. I just, I couldn't stand being vulnerable because my father didn't. So I thought I wasn't a man if I did those things. But then I got, thankfully, actually, I got incredibly suicidal where I had to realize, like, I, I literally can't live this way. I cannot do this. And then I experienced that, in my eyes, there's, there's, there's tenets of masculinity. There's me in the gym lifting heavy weights and feeling like, oh, that, that exists. I do, I do believe that. Yeah, there's yeah, also yeah. the side that if I see you or a brother in pain and I console them with love and I feel the energy, that's just as masculine. It's just as masculine as the weightlifting, as, you know, loving beautiful women. There's different tenets that don't all get the same amount of uh, respect. I t- totally agree with it. Thank you for sh- for sharing that story with me as well. Um, I'm glad you you didn't. I mean, it, I'm glad you got whatever help that you got and the, and the things that you've gone through to help you get to where you are right now. I'm, I'm grateful for that. And the thing with with that, Lucas, is where I've settled on with the idea of masculinity. It's that balance between strength and vulnerability, right? There, there is the piece of you know, if I'm in the gym, I'm going to hit it hard like until i'm unable to do that i'm going to lift weights i'm going to to be able to take care of myself my family like that's an important thing to me um i'm going to lead i'm going to but also to be able to be vulnerable i think there's a tremendous amount of strength to leaning into that vulnerability piece and then our kids feel like okay it's not abnormal for me to go to go through something where i feel like i am not worthy or i'm not good enough like i you know, it's, it's okay to share those things. And so many times, times for men, Lucas, and we were connected through Brian Reeves, who I just, I hold in such a high regard. So many times with men, our, our relationships and our conversations are surface level. It's, 
Hey, did you watch the game the other night? I'm I'm pumped up. I'm a, I'm a you know I'm a New Jersey New York guy. The Knicks beat the Heat. It's been such a long time. Like we'll go out to the bar. Hey, did you did you see the game this weekend? Or oh, the the wife and kids, the bullshit, this and that, and work is sucking. And it's never like, hey man, are you okay? Like, what are you struggling with right now? Like for real, what are you struggling with? Because we're afraid of feeling vulnerable in those moments. And I'm trying to normalize, like, hey, it's okay. I'm going to go to the gym and we're lifting together. Like, I'm going to push you. Like, let's go. One more fucking rep. You got this. You got this. But then again, like, hey, man, are you okay? Like, do you need to talk about something right now? So it's that balance, the dichotomy of the strength and the vulnerability. Yeah, let's try to unpack that piece because, you know, I have love for the men who can't get there right now. And I want to help bring them with us. Let's try and unpack why vulnerability is actually masculine. Like, why does it make you more manly to actually embrace your vulnerability? Well, when you think about some of the biggest fears that people have in the world, it's, you know, it's the idea of looking weak, right? So what I would challenge people to do is to think about what are your, in your life, what are your biggest fears? My guess is that even the biggest, toughest guys, their biggest fear is not failing at benching 350, it's someone perceiving them as not strong, right? That's, that's a totally different thing. So if, if that is, is a fear that's in front of you, I believe that fear is a good thing. I believe that like recognizing what are things that, you, that, are, that are making you uncomfortable in the world and then leaning into those things and going into those things. I host a podcast. It's called Building Men, and I interviewed a guy. His name is Akshay Nanavati. And this guy's a total savage. I, I'll connect you with him. You got to have him on your show as well. And Akshay, he wrote a book called Fearvana. Akshay is, is right now, he's on an expedition. He's in the last training stages to be the first human being in the history of the world that we know to uh, traverse the continent of Antarctica on a solo mission by himself, carrying everything that he needs. And he's going to do it in 100 days. That's his plan. And to prep for this, he, you know, he's done 30 days in Antarctica. He's like, um, he scaled the, the highest glacier in the continent of Antarctica. Um, he's done 10 day silent, retreat, uh, silent retreats. He's done, like, he's done all of these unbelievable things. He's done fasting. He's done whatever to, to plan for this. And when I talked to him, Lucas, I was like, you know, do you get such a thrill from this? And he goes, I do. He said, but I'm so scared of it. And he said, and that's why I need to do it. Because as a man, I need to understand that the thing that is in front of me that makes me the most scared is a thing that I need to do. And when you do something that you, that you're scared of doing and you come out on the other side, like you intentionally do something that you're scared of and you come out on the other side successful, it's one of the greatest feelings in the entire world. So for men, I think men are just scared of the vulnerability piece. I think that men are are afraid to let that that armor down a little bit because they're afraid of what other people are going to see underneath that armor. And that's where the good stuff is. And listen, if there if you have 10 close friends and then you let that guard down and five of them are like, "Dude, what the fuck? You're a pussy." Then you know, now you have five good friends that you could let your armor down. And that's really more important than having 10 friends that are going to bust your balls about it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's this fear of being perceived as weak. And it's unmanly, right? Because if you're needing other men, other men's or people's validation in order to satiate your own, your own internal world to feel safe, then you're not, I don't want to say real man, but you're, you're not the healthiest man you can be because you're not, you started this conversation with, you know, you're, you're outsourcing your own sense of self-worth. If you can't be seen in your truth, in, in say how you feel, and saying your past, 
you cannot accept yourself fully. And you can't develop wars from your own internal system. And that, that, that's the issue. That, that, therefore, you know, if we use that logic, it's, it's, it's brave to own and honor the sides of you that you don't want people to see. Because you're then owning yourself as a man. You can be present with yourself. And the, and the effect that has on your kids. And, and I want to you know, speak also now to generational trauma. You know, it, I think the main issue we're facing with fathers who can't take care of their, their kids properly, I mean, it's their fault. It's not their fault. It's not their fault in the sense that they just do what their dad did unconsciously. They have no fucking idea. They just repeat what they were shown. So how, is that part of, you, you know, your, your recipe and, and helping people kind of re to recognize, hey, you know, your, your dad probably did this shit. And how was your journey yeah. in, I know mine, but how, what was your journey like in undoing the damage that your father did to you to not do it to your kids? It was one to be really clear on everything that happened from my perspective. And then having conversations with both of my parents about it, understanding that they both went through their own situations and both of them had abusive past with their, with family members. So I know that, again, it took me a lot of time to get to this point. I know that they were doing the best that they could with what they had, with what they knew. I don't think they were intentionally trying to do anything to fuck me up, but yeah. so for them, it was, I know for my father, especially it was, I don't want to raise a son who is weak. I don't want to raise a son who can't take care of himself. I don't want to raise a son who's going to back down to a bully in a situation. The way that he handled that, which is all honorable, like I, I get that, but the way that he handled it, you know, leaves a lot to be desired, right? So, it wasn't, wasn't him, with for, love. It wasn't. It wasn't with love. It was with with guilt and with shame. But for him, that's what he was thinking. And he had an older brother who beat his ass all the time. Like he grew up with his fists up all the time. Like his parents weren't super involved in his life. So that's how he was, he, he like learned how to deal with difficult situations. And my mom was, was raised in a situation where she was scared shitless of her father. But what she saw was her mother back up her father in every single situation. So as a wife, her duty in her mind was to back up her husband at the expense of her kids. So for her, that's how she was raised, right? And I think what happens is the shit that happened to me was not my fault, obviously. It wasn't my fault that this happened. But then I, I needed to get to a point where it's my responsibility to deal with that. It's 100% my responsibility. One thing that I talk about with Building Men, Lucas, is it's such, a, it's such a privilege. It's such an honor to take on radical responsibility for everything that happens in your life. So now that, that shit that happened to me, it's my responsibility to deal with it myself so I don't pass on little traits from that situation or those situations to my own kids. And every time I, I, I hear my father in my voice, I catch myself. And I'm like, all right, let me. where did this come from? Let me really dive into why I said something that I said or reacted the way that I did. And the final step is I look at that situation I went through as a privilege. Like now I have an opportunity to take that situation, to think about it, to deeply feel into it, to learn from it, to not pass on those things to my own kids. But now go a step further. I can use that, that pain as my purpose. I could use that struggle as something that I could help other people that are going through something similar. So when I look back on that story, I'm so happy that I went through that. If, if I were to go back in a time machine and tell 12-year-old Dennis that one day you're going to thank God that you're going through this shit right now, I would say you're absolutely crazy. There's no way that I'm going to look back on this situation with any level of reverence, but I do now. I'm, I'm really thankful that I went through that as a kid because I'm using that to help other kids that might be going through something similar. Have you forgiven him for what happened? My father? Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I um, it's taken me a long longer than I would like to admit to get to that point. Um, I had a heart to heart conversation with him, and it was very recently as well. And that's when I started to unpack why it happened, like why he was the way he was. And I, he never shared a lot, Lucas, about his upbringing, about my my grandparents. They died, especially my grandfather died when I was very young about the abuse that he was suffering. He never talked about that. He shared the wins. He shared the the championships. He shared the girls that he dated and the cars that he drove. It was that masculinity piece where it was very surface level. Those are the things that he talked to me about. So I didn't know any of that other, the other stuff that went on below the surface. So I was really happy to hear that. And I shared that this is what I went through. This was my perspective. Obviously, he was saying, I was trying to raise you to not be a pussy, trying to be tough. And I said, well, what I needed, Dad, was for you to say, like, hey, that sucks, Dad. I'm really sorry you're going through that right now. What can I do to help you out? Do you want to learn how to box? Do you want to you go to the gym with me? Do you want to, you know, like, th that would have been helpful for me. Um, I can't go back in time and change that. But what I can do is tell him how I felt and what I learned from it and then try to understand why it happened from his perspective. And I've forgiven him. It's something that, you know, I lived with it for a long period of time. I've forgiven him. And, and what I told him was that situation helped me become a better dad, became, become a better leader in what I'm doing today. Yeah, but thankfully you did that. Because for me, why I say that is, I think men who are aware, there's steps, steps to this game. There's You become aware of your dad's shit. And then... That's, that's a big step. But then there's a, the next step, which most men don't clear, which is they don't forgive it. They hold on to it with anger. They hold on to it with rage. And their life becomes like fueled by the shadow of needing to prove their father wrong. That they're like, my father fucked me, I did this shit. Therefore, it's unconscious. Most people don't realize it. But they then go about their lives doing things to prove daddy wrong. And it's just like really fucked up, like heavy, strong energy that then they then go to the days with. And they make careers out of it, right? Most most men I know who go into finance for my, for my friends or college because their dads couldn't love them if they did the same thing as them and that they want more yep. money than them to make them to like fuck them over in some weird way. So I, that why I say that is that if we don't forgive our fathers and the wounds they caused us, our whole life will be made out to prove them wrong and to get back at them, even unconsciously. And that has a really negative effect. And you can't truly find your soul's purpose. You would never have found this, this in building men, the company you, you do so beautifully now, if you still had hate for your father. You end up doing something like trying to get back into, you know, sport or, or like, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, 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 it's a step that we have to take. Agreed. And it's interesting that you said that. I changed my major. I started when I went to college. I was doing uh, business and marketing. And I changed it to, to education, coincidentally enough, because my younger brother, Anthony, who is uh, time, time to time, he's a co-host on the Building Men podcast, he is 14 years younger than me. So I was 19 years old and he was five and I started coaching his T-ball team. And I really love coaching. I loved working with kids and helping them. And it's like, so I would coach some baseball teams, some basketball teams. And what happened with my younger brother was I became his father figure, how my father was hands-on with me with sports and very hands-off with everything else. With my younger brother, my father was hands-off with everything. So my brother was growing up without a, a male in his life, pretty much. My dad was there physically, but that was all for my brother. And so I wound up like having this pseudo role as like my a brother, a father figure, and then later we become we became best friends as he became a man. And 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 it was interesting to me because when I was when I was doing my my college work in education, 
my father told me before I graduated from college, he said, you realize if you're a teacher and you want to have a family, you're going to live below the poverty line. That was his pep talk to me before I graduated from college. Like, it wasn't like, hey, I'm so proud of you. You're, you're going to go inspire kids and blah, blah, blah. It was like, you're going to live below the poverty line. And so I was like, go fuck yourself. So I, as soon as I started teaching, I went back and got my master's degree in educational leadership to become a principal. To go say, you know what? Well, now I'm going to make a hundred and something thousand dollars a year. And then I started the process of becoming a superintendent because it was like a lot of it was like I needed to climb this ladder to show him he was wrong. Like I'm going to I'm going to have a better lifestyle than you did because of my mind, not because of of I'm a blue collar worker. Like in my mind, that's where I was going with it. So initially when I went into education, a lot of it was what you just mentioned, Lucas. It was like, fuck you. I'm going to do this. I I'm going to use my brain to, to make more of myself than you were able to do like a competitive thing with my father. Yeah. For me, it still hasn't gone away. I've, I've, I've channeled it into a healthier outlet, but no matter what, I've, I think I'm under the impression, I'm pretty spiritual, but I'm trying to label in more, you know, rational terms. But I, I think that sometimes our wounds and our pain are, are really there. They're kind of guided. They, 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 I'm trying to make it spiritual, but they exist for a reason. Like all of us, all our purposes are come from our pain. To me, that's not some random chance. To me, in my in my world, so for me, no matter what I do, I think some wounds like I, I've cleared. You know, there's like parts of me like a jealous in relationships, like shit like that. I've cleared. They don't really exist anymore. But I've tried hard to get rid of the side of me that just wants to to be the best and to dominate and to be driven. No matter what I do, it won't go away. I know it comes from my father, but at this point, I've just accepted. Okay, this this wound to dominate and to get better and to be the best will never fucking go away from me. It just won't. I've tried all, all everything. All I can do is channel it into, into love, channel it into service, and channel it into, into building something to help people, or else I'll just go crazy. So ha has that side of you just been transferred to what you do now, or have you actually done a, a job well enough to release the, the side of you that needs to, to prove something or to dominate? I'm going to give you a break to digest all this amazing information, and in this break, Please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you. Um, it's ninety-five percent gone. Okay. There's still there's still times when something will come up. A lot of it will be with conversations with my father now, where th there's still this little tiny hint of of I get um, I'll get triggered in a way where he'll say something or I'll say something to someone else. And I'm like, I clench my fists and I catch myself because there's this little tiny part of me that just, and I know I have to like shove it down that like I, there were times where I've in my past wanted to physically like punch him in the face. Like just mm -hmm. it, it, like it's and I like I see it coming down. I, I I breathe through it. It's almost gone, but I can't say it's totally gone. I like, I still will feel it from time to time. But more than anything else, what I've done is taken the lessons that he taught me. And there were a couple that I would say were positive lessons in my life. Like he was a really, really hardworking man. And so like he didn't let any like moss grow under his feet. If like there was an opportunity, he like he went for it and he was he he was like physically like he worked out his whole life, but he would he was never afraid to take on a physical challenge ever. So that's always stuck with me. And he always took calculated risks in his life. You know, even from, he started his own business when he was 20 years old. And 
he grew a business, you know, to where he had several people working for him and, and so he took risks. So, you know, those, those things were, were ingrained in me, like work ethic, you know, like if, if, if I'm still able to walk, then I'm going to walk. If I could run, I'm going to run. If I could lift, I'm going to let, like, I'm going to do those things. I'm never going to like be sedentary. So that was one, something I learned from my father. And then the ability to, to take calculated risks. And so I would say even I, I left being a principal in 2019. I was, I was basically, I was told after running these building men groups, no more, no more boy social groups. You know, you can't do stuff just for the boys and no more, you know, you need to focus on our test scores in school. Look at the lesson plans, look at the curriculum. And I was like, I can't do that. Like I'm not living authentically if that's what I'm doing right now. So I left public education in 2019, left a good salary on the table and took a risk on doing something myself. I don't think I would have had the courage to do that until I've come to terms with things that have happened to my father. And then also recognize that was a good thing that he taught me. You know, he, there were a couple of good things that those were two good things that he taught me. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, in, in these men's groups and, and, and boys groups that, that you lead, is there a common wound you see? Is there like an average wound you see in young men that is, is kind of pervasive? You know what I'm saying? Is there like a general wound that you can see in all young men that just, is there and almost all of them that's causing most of the suffering the the groups that i work with are it's anywhere from like middle middle school into like the first year of college that age range so like 12 11 12 through like 19 years old and there's a couple things that that are consistent in those those age ranges that like one we've already touched on is the idea of of feeling weak um Young men, more so now than ever, I think they're in this idea of like comparing comparing themselves to others. Think about us when we were younger, right? And I'm older than you, but I think about myself when I'm younger. And you know, if you go in, you're in the grocery store and you see like a Muscle magazine, or you get Sports Illustrated, and you and you're and you see the like physically the way someone looks, and you know, then I close the Sports Illustrated and I put it down, or I I turn on a television show and I see like you know WWF wrestling with like Hulk Hogan and the ultimate warrior or something. And I look at the way something, someone physically looks, then that's it. And then, you know, I go out and I play with my friends and I'm doing what I'm going to do. Kids now are like, they're constantly bombarded with this unattainable, like physical look. And when I started building men, Lucas, it was a lot of the, the stuff that the girls were doing was about body image and what the girls were seeing in magazines and things before social media was actually a thing. But boys are going through the same thing now. Like on their Instagram feeds, it's like they're looking at dudes that are jacked with six packs and, you know, lifting this amount of weight and, you know, dunking basketballs and doing things that like, oh, I'm not able to do that. So I'm not good enough. So I see a lot of the boys are are suffering from this comparison, what they think a kid that's 16 years old should look like, should be like, should act like. And a lot of that is is not you know, it's like out outside of their reach at the current moment. So they do suffer from that as well. A lot of boys that I've seen, especially when they're in that, you know, 16, 17 year old age range is, and one of the things when I talked to the boys recently about it, I'm like, what's the thing that you're struggling with the most? And the, the kids that were like in their junior year of high school were like, they feel so much pressure from adults to what they're going to do with their entire life. So there's like 17 year olds, like, I don't know what I want to do. And every single conversation they're having with their parents, friends, or grownups or whatever, it's like, where are you going to school next year? And what are you going to study? What's your major going to be? 
and they feel at 16, 17 years old, they have to make a decision to create this life track for themselves when they really don't know what they want to do. They haven't had the life experiences yet. Shit, I'm 46 years old and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to be doing in five years. You know, I have a little bit of an idea, but I mean, if you would have told me when I was 22 graduating college that I wouldn't be, you know, I would leave education intentionally to create a business around helping young men, I'd say you're fucking crazy. So a lot of these boys, they're like, they feel trapped into that they have to live a certain path based on pressures that they're feeling from their parents or from society right now. Those would be the three common things that I'm seeing with a lot of young men right now. It's also tricky because they're in a confused spot because not only do they have now the parental influence of what they think they should be doing, but they have the social media influence, right? That they're looking at videos of, you know, millionaires and boats and girls. And they probably think their mind's not going to what can I do to make the most money or gain the most influence rather than come from their soul and feeling which takes time man i didn't know what the, i didn't know what the fuck i was doing until i was 21 and even that that's crazy young for most people um but you know i started off i studied politics i wanted to you know to be a politician to some degree which is like the worst thing i could ever imagine now but you know you need that time to cultivate it because my i just needed what i felt my ego i was working off what my ego needed to feel validated and that's what i conceded to be and once it came more from the soul i started to see what i needed to do but how, do, how are you recommending those kids to deal with that wound the one both of those like what are you teaching them on how to deal with the comparison and also how to deal with the pressures of needing to be something at such a young age the first thing is um with the comparison is understanding that that exists in us but what i do is i say compare yourself not to what anyone else in the world is doing ever ever compare yourself today to who you were yesterday and if that's your goal is to become better and whatever your goal is, it's just getting a little better than you were yesterday. And how do you do that? And with the boys, we talk, I, there's these 12 character pillars that we talk about in building men. Like they're like, they, they basically guide everything that we're doing and our character pillars are accountability, authenticity, commitment, confidence, courage, curiosity, humility, integrity, leadership, resilience, respect, and self-discipline. So those are like, those are character pillars. So if you're, if you have those, those 12 pillars in mind in what you're doing, you can get 1% better every single day. And then how do you do that? It's by stacking daily habits. So what are the things that, that you can do on a daily basis that will help you get a little bit better? And when I work with young men, especially in my groups that I do, we have, there are 12 different daily habits that over the course of a year, if you're implementing one of these things with fidelity every single month, then you're onto something in a year. And it's like the importance of getting enough sleep every single night. You know, no longer is it like, oh, it's awesome. We were up until three in the morning and I got up at six to go to school. Like understanding, like if you want to be strong the next day, you need eight hours of sleep, at least if you're a high school student, the importance of hydration, of drinking at least, at least half your body weight plus 20 ounces in water every single day, like getting enough water, throwing away the monsters and the bangs and the Red Bulls and all that shit, like drinking enough water, movement, journaling, reading, intentional discomfort, cutting down on the amount of screen time, practicing gratitude. Like these are things that you can do on a regular basis. And if you're interested in getting a little bit better than you were yesterday, start implementing these things today, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is with not knowing what they want to do in the future, it's one, that's okay. You know, first of all, that's perfectly fine. If you're not sure at 16 years old, 17 years old, where you want to 
go to school, what you want to major in, if you want to go to school. You know, I'm so like I even tell my son, and my son is going to go. He'll be a freshman next year um, in college, and he like he wants to go to he wants to go to school. He's going to major in engineering, and like that's really important to him. But I told him, don't feel that you have to go to college next year. Don't feel like just because you're done with high school that that's just a natural progression of your life that you have to go into college. It's it's okay if you don't want to go. What I would recommend is like think about something that you're really passionate in doing, and then go learn from someone who's really good at doing that. So I'm all about kids having experiences, going, visiting different places, talking to individuals that they find fascinating, learning about what makes them tick themselves. And it's not something that, that it's an overnight thing. It'll, it'll happen over years and you'll start to learn with your own kids. What are they, what's their propensity for? Are they more artistic in nature? And if they are, go visit a couple art galleries, find out, find an artist and have them go interview an artist or, or intern somewhere. Um, if they're more in, you know, like you said, in politics and like volunteer in a local organization and see how the hierarchy of a government situation works. So giving kids experiences and when they have those experiences, they'll learn like, I really, really like this or no, this was not for me. Okay. Now you know what's not for you. And I, I talk a lot about the path of not here in life. You know, we, 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 we're constantly chasing like, oh, this is where I should be. This is where I should be. And when you get to that spot where you think you should be and it's a dead end, that's a good thing. You know, people are like, oh, this sucked. I just, I put all this time and effort in. No, it's good because you're able to now close the door in that area and know that you're not supposed to be here and you're closer to where you need to be. So I, I look at that as, I call it the path of not here to get to the path of here of where you should be in life. Yeah, touching upon the first thing you said, there's, I also noticed, I don't too hard on men because I do think there's, there's two battles we're facing. I think there's one that's, what we've been mostly talking about, which is how to soften a bit, how to love, how to be able to be weak. But there's the other side, which is becoming even more popular. I also think that as men are becoming, you know, I don't want to say we're toxic, but, you know, almost painfully unmasculine in the sense that it's like override. They don't want to be soft and, and love. But now you have the other side where men are, I hate to say it, but bunch of them are becoming huge bitches. Like they're just, they're just not able yes. to do anything. They're just like a over extreme hedonism now of men, you know, scrolling social media, playing video games. That's just as wounding. It causes just as much pain as going to the other extreme. I think men are either in a state of like overdoing, like over needing to do things for validation and, and then the opposite of that is they can't do anything because they're too and they don't bear the, the fact that they have to have, have responsibility. So how are you how are you seeing that come up nowadays in young in young men of just this hedonistic oh, laziness? That's it's such a a great topic to get into too, Lucas. And again, going back to cycling back to the, the beginning, like the logo of building men, like that's what that, like that's the, the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is going from my dad's generation, right? We see the guys that are, you know, the, the tough guys that don't show any emotion that it's like, they need to look a certain way. And they're like, you know, womanizing and, you know, walking in the door, like, where's my fucking dinner, bitch? Where's my beer? Like, shut the fuck. Like this, like scare tactics way of being like, I'm the toughest guy in the room because just the, just look at me. Like that's, that's no good. The pendulum has swung so far in the other direction, Lucas, where like, like men have become like, they're tucking their balls between their legs and they're like, like hyper feminized where they're walking around following their woman, like holding their purse or purse with like a fucking little dog in the purse, brushing their hair saying, Oh my God, you look so pretty. What can I do for you? What can I do? It, that's horrible too. Like women don't want emasculated men who are 
like that don't have any backbone or don't have a sack between their legs. So it's it's finding the sweet spot, right? Like I can like I come in and I like command a presence in my in a room when I walk in. Like I like I walk in my head held high, my shoulders are back, like I don't like shrink down in situations like that. Building men, one of the first things that we talked about was like shaking hands with other men. Like I'm gonna look you in the eye and I'm gonna give you a firm handshake. Like I'm meeting my girlfriend's father, or my bo- like a boss for the first time. Like th- that's how I'm gonna present myself with with a like a level of strength, and that I can handle situations. I'm not gonna be knocked down by emotions and other crazy things that are happening. Like there's gonna be times where my my girl is you know she's upset with something and I'm not gonna let that like blow me over. I'm gonna stand strong and tall. But in the same respect, I'm not going to be so hard that I'm going to shove down all my emotions to where it's going to come out in, uh, you know, buffering those emotions, which would be like playing video games or drinking or smoking or watching porn or, you know, doing those types of things where you're you're not leaning into who you are as a man. So it's finding that sweet spot. Neither one of those things are good, in my opinion. And that's why, like, what I do and even the logo, like I mentioned in the beginning, like it's it's strong. It's it's. It's steady. It's you know the 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 community, the connection, but also the vulnerability piece and like a compassion piece as well. And I think if you have all those pieces playing together, I think that's what makes a good man today. Well, that's such, such a good thing you say that. I think it's the main thing. If I could summarize the best point what we're talking about for men to listen to, or any woman or person to listen to about masculinity, is that it's a large topic. It has many archetypes. It has a ton of things that go into it. It's not as simple as as one thing. It's not as simple as, you know, being strong and physical and stoic. It's a very complex, nuanced thing that is different from almost every person. You know, I think we each have our own arrangement of archetypes or arrangement of, of, of pieces of masculinity that fall into our own reality. It's very different for each man. Um, but there are certain tenets that I think we should all, all apply that help us. So uh, what's your take on, on um, you know, certain archetypes for men that we should be tapping into or that exist in us. Have you tried to teach that to, to kids? I do. And I just did a, a series of posts recently about that, the idea of the, the king, warrior, magician, lover archetypes. And it's something that I wholeheartedly believe in. And when you when you take apart each one of them, so the, the king archetype is the leader. He's the protector. Um, he's that, like the father figure of, you know, of who we are as men. The warrior is the one who's self-disciplined, who's the, the courageous one, who will who will stand up in difficult situations. The one that like, listen, if there's, you know, the, the, the sound in the middle of the night, like that's my job to go and deal with that. You know, the bug that has to be killed, that's my job as the man to go and do it. Do I want to go kill the spider? No, not really. But I'm not going to make my woman get out of bed and go kill the spider in the middle of the night either. That kind of thing. The magician is the is the the one who is you know fascinated with with learning and and teaching and um, you know like like taking your knowledge and passing it on to the next generation. And then finally, that lover archetype is is experiences and feeling and vulnerability. So if you're able to to weave all of those things into your daily experiences and understand that if, if you're lacking one of those areas, well, not necessarily, it's like the the most terrible thing in the world, but what is it? Like, is there something that you didn't get in your life? Was there um, an unresolved trauma that you had in your life that you need to lean into that archetype a little bit more in the future? Yeah. And going off that just to help listeners understand an archetype, my understanding is the Jungian psychology term that we all have a collective unconscious mind. 
that within all of us we share the same unconscious field of, of knowledge or existence and, and men have a specific one. And that in all of us there are certain characters or parts of us that exist throughout all of us and if we ignore them they'll basically come and haunt us, try to live through us in, in different ways. So all the ones you said are different parts of ourselves as men that live in our unconscious minds that have to see reality. Think on that point, those are kind of positive archetypes. What people don't talk about in my eyes, in my experience, is there are negative archetypes. There are sides of me that want to, you know, dominate, that want to, you know, be sexually ravished and just, like, fuck a bunch of women and beat up men. And, and you know, there's, like, a, a negative, not negative, but there's a side of men, archetypes of men that are vicious, that are savage, and they exist. In my experience now, just like we have to honor the positive ones, we have to figure out a way to try and cultivate a relationship with those negative sides of us so that so they don't leak out into others. So how, how do you notice that or how do you do that for yourself? Like the, How do you deal with a part of yourself that's a killer, that, that wants to fuck everything and wants to punch everything? Like That exists in all men. I, I firmly believe that. And until men learn to own that and, and live with it and, and love it and not let, leak it out into negative outlets, so how, what's your take on that? And how are you, are you telling men about those sides of themselves, how to deal with them? Like, what's, what's that look like? All right. So I love this, this topic to Lucas and within each archetype that I mentioned, there is like a shadow figure for each one of those archetypes. So yeah. like for the King archetype, it's the, the shadow figure is the tyrant who is like, he it, like, it's like the Hitler character. Like that's the, the, the tyrant. And then there's the weakling. You know, someone who, who has the ability to be in power, but is, but is scared of that ability. For the warrior archetype, there's the, and this kind of goes into what you were just speaking about, there's the sadist and the masochist within the warrior archetype as the shadow figures. So Jordan Peterson, who I, I love the man, I have such a man crush on Jordan Peterson. He's one of, like, here, he's a guy. Oh, people, people hate well, on him. I don't get it. Yeah. What's that? People are hating on him. I don't get it. I'm like, so no, man, he's just, well, the thing is he's, he's saying things that people are thinking that, that no one wants to talk about. So what he yeah. says is a virtuous man is not a weak man. A virtuous man is not a passive man. A virtuous man is a fucking animal, a beast, but has that under control. So what I want to be able to do is like you just mentioned, like you have that, that, that inside of you that you want to, you know, if there's somebody in a bar that's looking at you kind of slanted eyes, like I, I want to fucking go knock that motherfucker's head off. Like if somebody's yeah. like, like interrupting my family or like, I, I have that in me, but I have it tempered and it's under controls to where I'm not like a hothead. So it's kind of like simmering under the surface. And here's the thing too. I'll use this as an example to, to share my thoughts about boys in general. I like to, to talk to parents because they're like, what, like, what's going on with the boys? Like, th they're crazy. I don't know what to... Boys are like the Incredible Hulk. So if you think about a boy like the Incredible Hulk, it's, it's kind of like this. They want, like, Hulk is a, like a superhero, a good guy, right? Like, he's, you, you want Hulk on your side if, if Thanos is coming, right? You want him there. Like, he, he wants to do the right thing. But underneath is like this this animal that like is trying to get out. So you're, we're constantly as men knowing that we want to do the right thing, but we're trying to keep that beast at bay because it can go off. It can absolutely go off in the wrong direction. And all of a sudden you're ruining cities, right? Like, so for, for men to understand and for, for young men, especially understand that that's okay to have that, that aggression in there, to have that wanting to compete and to control and to, to conquer, like it's there. But keeping it like at a spot where you can call on it when necessary—that's what I think it really comes down to. 
And then, Lucas, the final two things, like as far as the shadow figures are concerned, because I'm just so fascinated with these ideas and, and for people to really understand. And so the, the magician, the, the shadow figures are the, of the magician are the manipulator and the victim. And we all have seen so many people in our life play play the victim role that it's like they're blaming other people. Um, well, I didn't do this because the teacher did this, or because my boss is an asshole, or because my wife doesn't give like I won't, you know, she doesn't let me have sex with like the, the, those men are like the victim, and the manipulator is you know the wise person who's like playing chess with other people. So think like Heisenberg, Walter White in Breaking Bad, like he was a magician manipulator in that sense. And then finally the lover archetype, the, the shadow figures of the lover archetype are the addicted lover. Like the people that it's like, you just mentioned, like it's all about banging the girls and this and that. And then the other one is the impotent lover or the, is that guy who's like just playing video games and watching porn. And he doesn't even attempt any relationship with women because they're, they've been so scorned by the opposite sex that they're just going to like, you hear the guys are like right now, I forget what it's called. Like MGTOW, like men going their own way, or I don't, we don't, need women in our life at all those those are more of the impotent lover archetypes you know as far as that's concerned so that i'm, I'm sorry i went on a, a big diatribe about that but it's just it's something recently that i've just been really fascinated with and then helping young men understand that these are all things that exist in us and we're all going through similar things so let's lean into them together and, and help each other understand what these things mean yes yeah, so I, I study mostly young, young in psychology so i love all this stuff and there's an interesting, he has an interesting take on it that, you know, to the degree you can't live out certain things like that, like you can't live out this warrior in you sometimes, you know, if you're working a nine to five and your family to take care of, he actually believes that through cultivating your own myths, your own fantasies, through writing stories with that character of yourself, you actually live it. And he, he, that's what he believed that, you know, if, if, you know, you can't be that savage to like write a story or imagine it in a way where you are and to just like get that part of you to, to have a voice and to experience, not to be in, in shame. So that was interesting. You know, it worked, it's worked for me. And, and yeah. I know there's like that certain parts of me I just can't live in the physical world. I'll write stories, short stories. I'm, I'm a writer, so I'll write stories or in, in a book. I'll start creating lives for these parts of me that I can't really give voice to in, in reality. But going back to your initial point on, on having men recognize their monstrosities or capacity for danger and then controlling it that's a real man. The problem I see nowadays is the frustration I have with, you know, the side of the world that, that hates Jordan Peterson, that, that is like feminizing men. I get it. I understand why they're doing it. But my problem with it is that what they don't realize is that when you encourage men to shame the sides of themselves, that no matter what will exist, the parts that want to fuck, that want to be violent. If you shame those sides of men, they go into the shadow. If they go into the shadow, they'll leak out unconsciously, meaning they're actually more yes. likely to rape, to be violent. So you need men to get ahead of these things, they don't do that shit. And when you basically tell men, hey, you have to be feminine, you cannot ever be a, a aggressive or violent, you cannot do these things, you'll actually lead men to repress those sides of themselves and do them unconsciously. And it's a dangerous fucking game. I hate to go on this rant, but it just, in my life, when I was a dangerous man, I, I was ashamed of the sides, you know? I used to be a crazy fucking Democrat. Not, that I, not to be political, but I was a person that was like, if I'm, you know... A, a man and, and I, I'm like sexual and, and aggressive. I'm a, I'm a problem. I'm society's issue. Yes. And that'll lead me to like repress all this shit. I don't know how you feel and about that's that. that's the thing too. That's my experience. I appreciate you telling me that too. And um, fascinated about the, the writing piece where you are creating that, the, the characters. It's something I, I would love to learn more about that. I, I really encourage kids to journal every single day. Um, to help them process There's through what book, they're feeling. A book called Inner Work by Robert Johnson. It, it t talks all about it. It basically gives you like how to 
the, the his evidence as to why we need to got it. young in psychology book as to why we need to do that in our lives yeah i love that and I, that's one of those things where with the the groups that i do every week I, I recommend a book for them to take a look at so i'm gonna i'm gonna take a look at that book and then and then recommend it to the young men that i work with and and to your point about you know stifling that piece of us i i don't i can't attribute the the author right now but it was like you would rather be the warrior in the garden than the gardener in the war like you want to be able to have the ability to take care of yourself and you know and be that monster. You want to have that ability and keep it under wraps. Like keep, you know, understand like what your emotions mean and, and have it in a spot rather than not have that ability whatsoever. And then being called to take care of yourself, to take care of your family and not have the capacity to do so. We like that is, that is way worse than, than the former. Yeah. It's essential for, for men to have that. I don't think you can, I think part of a man is experiencing your fullness. As we talked about experiencing all of you, there's a power in that when a man can experience all of himself, whether it be the side of him that's loving and gentle and feminine or the side of him that's a fucking savage. When you can, as a man, be present with all of it and experience it fully, that is in my eyes when you're a true man. When you can honor all sides of yourself and and, and, and do that. you know. I want to kind of end on this, this side of things to try and give a balanced side of all, all shit. You know, for, for me, I also see that this thing that for men that are more feminine, that are, you know, maybe homosexual or they're, they're not they're not as identified with, you know, the, the straight side of things and they're, how, why, why, in my eyes, like, why are they just as, as masculine as us? How can they cultivate their, their journey as a man when they may not have the same attributes that men do? You know, I think most kids who get bullied, in my eyes, or have those sides of themselves at a young age. And they don't know how to, how, what to do with them, whether it be, you know, gay or, or feminine or bad at sports. Like, how can we have men who aren't necessarily manly? I don't agree with that. But how can they feel like men, too, and not have the same issues? And I think it goes back to the idea of masculinity. It's not it's not a cut and dry thing either. You know, there there is... It's like the yin and the yang with masculine and feminine energy. And some, you know, men will have more feminine energy than masculine energy. You know, so it, it is a balance. So I'll give you an example. My younger brother, who I mentioned before, he's, Anthony's 32 years old right now. And Anthony is much, has much more feminine energy like himself. He's more, he's more deeply feeling. He's more emotional. Um, he's much more spiritual. He's more, like that. It's just the way that he is. So he's, you know, in conversations, he's like more engaged with the, uh, like, it, it's just, it's very apparent, but you would look at him and he looks like Thor. Like he is he's jacked, he, like 5% body fat. He has like an eight pack. He's like strong as fuck. You would look at him and think, like, this dude is, like, he's such an asshole. He's, a, like, he's going to try to come in here and start a fight. Yet he is, like, the one who's going to, like, hold the puppy dog in the field. You know, he's, like, that guy. So, like, I do think a lot of it is, like, our perception of that. Like, I've seen, you know, guys that are, you know, more feminine that just look the part. Like, they, they have that, you know, that more masculine frame to them. I would say as far as like if you're a young man and you're struggling with that more aggressive side, it's not that there's anything wrong with it. Like there are going to be men that are less aggressive, less assertive. Like it's not a bad thing, but it's also it's understanding like is it are you not 
leaning into that because of of something? Is it are you not leaning into that because of fear? Are you not leaning into that because of trauma? Like for me, I didn't want to be like my dad. So there was a time in my life that I like didn't honor that side of myself, that aggressive side of myself. So I pushed it down. And it, be, it came out in like negative behaviors for me. It came out in, in drinking way too much. It came out in me watching porn way too much because I was stuffing that shit down for myself. So is there a reason why you're not honoring that side of yourself? And if it's just like, this is just who I am. This is part of my DNA makeup, my DNA coding. Like this is, this is just who I am. Then it's, okay, are there... Are there other role models that you can have in your life? And I'm all about young men, going back to the beginning, kids that don't have role models, like what the stats are, finding a role model in your life that you can emulate what how you want to be. Like you see people doing things. I, it's like you, you're – like lessons are caught, not taught. Like you want you, – so for, for kids to find men that are living the way that they want to live. And then if you're a man and you're, you have the opportunity to mentor a young man, think about what you can do to help them – reach the fullness of their masculinity as well. Well, you said this so powerful and be beautiful because I completely agree. To me, if, to summarize it, and actually I didn't think about it this way, I think masculinity to me is someone who can honor their fullness with love. And, and we all have a very different fullness. You know, I, as you said, there are men who, you know, came here into earth to, you know, maybe a dancer or an artist or a photographer or something more feminine or, you know, a, a lover or something. And that's their experience as a man. And to just feel, be present with that without shame and honor that, to me, is masculinity in some way. Is to just really be present with and feel safe with whoever you are. And not leak the shame of not being that outward. I think that the shadow of masculinity is someone who can't accept all of them. And they hold that, that repressed side of them as much shame that they need to go to pleasure or addiction to deal with that repression. So they go to alcohol. For me, I was a drug addict, so I couldn't deal with the fact that... For me, I, I couldn't deal with the fact that I was... You know, part, many parts of me that I then went to drugs... I couldn't accept that I was, I, I was uh, emotional, I was sensitive, I was very spiritual, I have a very kind heart, and I was trying to be this tough guy, because I'm you know, muscly, somewhat attractive, tattoos, I couldn't deal with that side of me, so I went to drugs to escape from it. And the more I accepted that side of me, of okay, I'm actually a sweet, sensitive person who also has this appearance, the more I accepted that with, with, with presence, with, with love, with fullness, the drugs didn't, I didn't need them, I, I felt good. And I think that's what I, I see, I think most men, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, accept it with love, accept who you are with love, if you love dressing up in, in weird ways, honor that. You know, just be with it. Be present with it because if you shame it, that's when the, the, the masculine wounding comes. Agreed with that. And appreciate the, you know, thinking about those voids that you had in your life. And for you, it was drugs. Like that filled a void. And what I'll tell young men right now too is if there is that thing in your life that's creeping in, whatever it might be. If it's, if it's drinking, if it's drugs, if it's pornography, if it's video games, whatever it is, if it's creeping in and you, kids will recognize, like we, you know, when there's shit that you're doing, that doesn't, it, it's not what you're, what you were meant to do in this world. And we rationalize it like, oh, it's a Friday. It's all right. If I, you know, have five or six beers tonight and then Saturday comes, well, it's fucking Saturday night. And then all of a sudden the game's on on Sunday and then Monday, Monday night football is on. So I'm going to have another couple beers tonight before you know it. It's like, that just becomes who you are. But ultimately, you know, when there's that, that missing piece and you're filling it with something to, to fill the void there. And most times it's like buffering the emotion that you're afraid to feel. So what is it? It takes a lot of courage. Like we talked about before, Lucas, the vulnerability, the courage to be able to lean into those things that you know are not serving you. 
but it takes work to do that. So for you, I'm sure there was some shit from your past. Like drugs were filling the void for you. For me, the, the pornography and the drinking, they were filling holes in my life that I couldn't, I didn't know how to deal with at the time. And having separated myself from that and really dealing with it, it's totally different. I mean, I'm, I'm a totally different man than I was several years ago. But that's the, that's the work that we have to do, right? For sure. Yeah, it's, it's why the wound, not why the addiction is, is find out. And I think that it's part, it's a, in my experience, I'm sure there's a part of you that you couldn't accept, that you couldn't deal with, that you couldn't feel. But a historical part of you, a current part of you, was a part of you that you just didn't want to experience in its fullness. So you went back to, I'm assuming, right, that's correct, that, you know, you couldn't, so what was that, what was that part of you that you just couldn't sit with or feel or you didn't want to deal with? For me, it went all the way back to, I'm, I'm not good enough. I'm going to let people down. I'm weak. I'm scared. I'm not courageous. Um, like I can't handle myself. And when I became a father, that still existed in me. So now I'm, I felt like a total fake out because if I'm going to, my, my son was born, he's 18 years old now. My son was born in 2005 and it was actually the year that I started building men. Coincidentally enough, when, when I became a father, I was like, wait, I'm still this fucking kid who is scared and he's, you know, who thinks he's going to disappoint people and he's ashamed of himself. And, and now I'm going to try to raise a son. Like, so for me, there was this, this juxtaposition of how I felt a man should be, a father should be, what what I thought my dad should be, and who I was. And it didn't jive. They they weren't the same thing. So that's where a lot of the work happened for me. So as I was doing the the whole building men program, a lot of it was me learning myself. Like what are the what are the things that I needed to hear? What are the what why did I why did I start this program? A lot of it was for me. It was for me to understand like here's what a man needs to be and if you're not there yet what are the, what's the work that you need to do and don't be afraid to say that you know i'm i need to do some work in this area and there's there's a a barrier that exists and the barrier that existed for me was a self-imposed barrier so i needed to figure out how do i knock that barrier down and a lot of it was journaling and and therapy and you know talking through it ultimately and, was feeling what you didn't want to feel was, was yeah. just being present with what you were not feeling for so long. And that's the barrier that most of us face is whether it's we, we, most of us, you didn't perceive it this way, but most of us perceive the barrier as alcohol, or the barrier as a behavior or a job. The barrier is almost always the feeling you don't want to feel that you're covering up with something. And the more you can actually sit with that sensation with love and presence, then the barrier, barrier lifts. But I wanted to thank you so much for, for sharing your, your story and all that you do. And, and all kudos to you, man. This is, truly a very powerful thing you do. I think it's the most effective, impactful thing anyone could do is, because men are the backbone of society, I do believe that. I'm not afraid to say that. It, it's true. And if men are struggling like they are nowadays, if they're all a bunch of, you know, lazy hedonists or they're becoming, you know, obsessed with the wrong things, the fact that they have you in your corner is important. So I just wanted to spread the love for you doing that. So thank you so much. Thank you for coming on today and sharing your story. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Good stuff, my man. Good luck to you on, on creating a, you know, big move in here. It was an awesome experience. Thank you again. Where can people find you uh, to learn more about you and some of your stuff? Thank you, man. Um, so the website is buildingmen.io, and uh, I'm most active on Instagram, building.men. And then I put out a podcast weekly, Building Men Podcast. You can find it anywhere you find podcasts. And I'd love to have you on as a guest to share your story, man. I've, I've appreciated this connection. I'd love to, to further so. your mission and, and have you on as a guest. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. 